Welcome back to the Village Bonfire for another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. A podcast not just for your mind, but for your body and spirit too. Here we don't just talk theory. Instead, we compassionately engage with our lived experiences and a wide variety of topics together, all to invite the question, in these times we find ourselves in, how do we be more human? Thank you for being here. May these conversations awaken, inspire, repair, and evolve something deep within each of us and serve the wild, tender aliveness of our personal and collective hearts. So welcome back, Wild Sacred Journey podcast. So as with each episode, hmm, we're just going to take a few deep breaths in and out together just kind of arrive in this space. I'm like going through my mind before I came on and started recording. I like went through and closed all the open browsers so that I like wouldn't like have zoom freeze up. So now I find myself going through my mind and like closing empty browser tabs, excess browser tabs in my mind. So if that analogy lands for you, go with it and maybe close some of those extra mental browser tabs that are kind of keeping, keeping your head in that spinning wheel, (laughs) that Mac wheel. (laughs) Mm. As we arrive together, I'm going to light our candle, our village bonfire that we gather around the light, the warmth, the connection. As we do so, I just honor the land that I'm on, that you're on, that holds us. Mm. Mm. The land that hungers for us to have these types of conversations as much as we hunger for them. It came to me really in a session of meditation the other day, just how much the land is actually hungry for us to remember the things that we're longing to remember. And I had this image almost like of just this barren landscape that once had been a thriving ecosystem and how much the earth wants that ecosystem repopulated. And that there's something about these spiritual questions, these questions about humanness and how to be more human and how to be more spiritual and how to connect with each other in better or different ways that um, are part of repopulating that ecosystem is what really came to me. So, so yeah, so just acknowledging our hunger for this, for this gathering, for this being together, acknowledging the earth's hunger for us to be together and with her, he, them (laughs) in that way. And acknowledging then also our ancestral lands, the lands our ancestors came from, our lineage, the culture that our bones remember, cultures that our bones remember. Especially if we live far from those lands now. And also acknowledging the people that came before and the lands that we are on now before our ancestors arrived, maybe still live on the lands where we are now. 
and just this web of connection. So I am so excited to have Emma Sartwell on today. And um, Emma is, has become a lovely friend. <laughs> we met through female entrepreneurial peer groups and business masterminds and just connected. It's just one of those things where I, you know, I just kind of felt a connection and then asked a question at one point in a group and she responded and it kind of prompted this conversation. And then, yeah. Um, and one of the things that I really love about Emma is that she's endlessly curious. <laughs> like me <laughs> wants to learn all the things and study all the things and nerd out about all the things. And so I love like the, the nerdy wormholes we go down together. <laughs> um, and I just really appreciate about her, like her deep commitment to exploring where humanity meets spirituality in really transformative, but also really embodied ways. Um, and the way she she bridges sort of different worlds within that, and we'll kind of I'm sure get into some of that more in the podcast. But um, yeah, so her bio: Emma Sartwell is the founder of Somatic Spiritual Counseling, a collective of body and mindfulness based coaches and therapists. She brings together her background in Buddhist and interfaith spiritual care, mystical Judaism, and nervous system science to help clients find greater self knowledge calm and connection to themselves, others, and the natural world. She's passionate about helping people lean into greater truth and intimacy and removing blocks to being fully ourselves. She's lived in Baltimore, New York City, Boulder, and now Kauai, right? That's how you pronounce Kauai. Okay, there we go. I've seen it written. I've never actually heard it pronounced before. So there we go. Learn something new, Kauai, where the ocean is her greatest teacher. So welcome, Emma. Oh, thank you so much for that introduction, Kate. It feels yeah. like so heart-centered and like really the way you would welcome a friend or welcome a community uh, to the fire. Lovely. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of segues us into as, you know, I've been starting my, my conversation, um, podcasts with this question, I like to ask guests, you know, in cultures around the world, traditionally people would introduce themselves with their lineage or other markers to help the people they're meeting kind of come to know where and how they fit into the social fabric of things. And so sort of beyond our formal professional bio, you know, I would love to give you an opportunity um, as you step up to the fire into our community, into this collection of our friends here who are also gathered, even if not in presence right now, as we're recording, you know, gather in the listening, um, beyond your bio, what kinds of identities or roles or locations or ancestors or lineage would you like to share that sort of you feel would help them orient you in the larger world or in the social fabric? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, the first thing that comes to mind is my Jewish lineage. I have three grandparents who came, their parents came from Eastern Europe mm. to America, like during the pogroms during the 19th century. Mm. And a lot of my spiritual path has had to do with reconnecting with those Jewish roots and those Eastern European roots and eating mm. a lot of borscht, <laughs> 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 a lot of holidays. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I do have one grandparent who is Irish Catholic from England, Ireland. So I have that lineage as well. And then in my lifetime, I mostly grew up in Baltimore. I did when I was really small, I moved around the South a bit. So that was an interesting experience being a Jewish family in the South, like mm -hmm. in Virginia, Alabama, Tennessee. And then we landed in Baltimore. Uh, and I always have a soft spot in my heart for Baltimore, mm -hmm. Charm City. And then I went to NYU to the Gallatin School of Individualized Study and lived in New York City for about five years. Uh, and that's where I started learning meditation and got involved with the Shambhala community. Um, also really involved in postmodern dance and performance art and kind of the intersection of meditation and performance mm. and that was sort of a wormhole to Naropa University in Boulder Colorado where I lived for about 10 years and I got a master's in divinity from Naropa um, yeah and there I got involved with a lot of different communities Boulder is kind of a hot spot for these teachers and these mm -hmm. communities and sort of dabbled in Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrayana, Zen. I met a teacher who was mixing psychodynamics with Jewish mysticism. Mm. And he, I've studied with him deeply for a long time. Mm. And it was a really interesting time in my life to, to taste what is out there and how are, how can they synthesize for this time and this place mm. and how, how does it synthesize in my own truth? Mm. And then just about a year ago, I moved to Kauai. So I'm exploring this whole other side of culture and nature. It feels, um, it's kind of the opposite of Colorado in a lot of ways, which is very dry, and <laughs> <Yeah>. elevated, <laughs> and then Kauai is so, everything's alive and it's so moist. And, mm. um, and I've been learning a lot about the culture here. Mm. Those mm. are some of the, the threads that can maybe yeah. locate me. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I feel like it's such a lovely, like rich picture. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, I particularly sort of love some of the pieces that really, you know, stood out to me there um, that felt like they had a lot of like, let's follow this thread resonance, right? Um, and one was really like the synthesizing things for these times. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that's such an interesting question, you know, there's something to be said for tradition and depth and ancestry. And like, you know, I was in one of the conversations I've had with another guest, um, you know, we were talking about how, well, we were talking about plant medicines, but we were talking about specifically how some plant medicines, because they've had so 
many people work with them over the years, like that helps build the resonance around them, right? There's a, there's a collective resonance that becomes easier to tap into because they have such like foundational things, right? So it's almost like, you know, there's a, there's a strength, you know, the, the practice, the tradition itself, like can start to take on this life of its own because of how many people have invested love and devotion and energy and like spirit into it, you know, and, um, and so I think there's a lot of importance to that, and also like, you know, traditions are still interpreted and in many ways created by humans, right. And we are products of our times and places, you know, and our cultures and, um, you know, certainly, you know, there have been times when femininity has been erased from a lot of narratives and a lot of like the organized, the major organized religions that we see today, right? And they've become very masculine centered or times when women's weren't, women weren't allowed in some of those spaces or times when they were very matriarchal and it was like almost the opposite, you know? And, and it's been, so anyway, it's, it's, yeah, it's very interesting how we, yeah, navigating sort of that tension between like honoring sort of the tradition of things and the history of things and that strength that actually comes from sort of tapping into that. And then also honoring, but like, what does that mean today or in this lifetime? And we have technology now, right? That, that they didn't have maybe a couple hundred years ago or, you know, a thousand years ago or whatever it might be. Right. And so just the nature of everything looks really different. And like, while the human questions, the foundational human questions we grapple with are the same, like how that applies and in what context might be very different, you know, because our lives look really different now than they did a thousand years ago, like human lives, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. I would love to hear. Yeah. What does that spark in you? <laughs> it's a question. I'm sure you can imagine I've spent a lot of time grappling with and I think we're in a really interesting moment in human history because I think about like my ancestors who lived in the shtetl and they had one paradigm maybe they encountered another paradigm if it was um, like the surrounding Christianity but they're all their family ties, their social ties, everyone was living in one worldview. Mm. And so there's always a history of updating and questioning and debating, mm. but it was so different from now when we have access to endless paradigms. Mm. Mm. And we sort of I, have to navigate how I, are we? <laughs> I saw this meme really quickly. I saw this meme one time that um, I can't, it was like a, you know, a screenshot of someone's tweet or something like that. And so I can't remember exactly off the top of my head who to attribute it to, but it was, um, uh, I think it was a woman who was like, we weren't supposed to know this many people even existed, much less all they thoughts. <laughs> and I just like, like, yeah. And I shared that with another, with Ash, mutual friend, and, you know, with the two of us just like laugh so hard and so that like has become this like ongoing joke that we sometimes like when like just we feel overstimulated with like how much there is in the world we'll like text each other like <laughs> like that and it just it kind of breaks some of that tension but yeah I mean it is it's actually like overstimulating for our nervous system in a lot of ways this constant access to it's beautiful and 
like also really overstimulating and almost destabilizing. So anyway, yes, not to get us totally off what you were saying, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's like, it's my perception of it is that it's calling us to embody ourselves and to embody spirituality in a different way than we have Mm. in the past. Mm. Like, I don't know if it's possible anymore to disregard all of the pieces that we've been exposed to and put ourselves into one paradigm. I mean, I've seen people who do that to some extent Mm -hmm. and I respect it. And I think that might be a truth for that person, Mm -hmm. but it's never, we can't go backwards. Mm -hmm. There's so much input. And I think that there is a potential for some synthesis that is not, you know, at Naropa, we would talk a lot about like spiritual shopping mm-hmm. <laughs> and sort of like dipping from one to the other and never going deep into one. That was the other piece that I felt like we kind of touched into in your intro there that, that, yeah, that I wanted to talk to you about, which is, yeah, that piece of like, it's so easy to seek, seek, seek. And there's a beauty in that. And also sort of that, you know, that quote, that sort of part cliche, part truism of like, you know, always the seeker, never the finder kind of thing, you know, there's also value to depth and to apprenticeship and to, um, you know, these deep devotional practices that build slowly and over time and the skills it takes, you know, building a relationship is the skills it takes to keep an ongoing long-term relationship mm-hmm. are the same skills it takes to be devoted to one or two things, you know, or to build a business that you actually are going to run for your whole life or whatever. Like it's actually the same skills. And we do seem to be losing many of those as a society. <laughs> right. I feel like we're swinging from one end of the pendulum to the other. And I hold that question of a lot of like, how, is there a way for both? Mm-hmm. Is there a way where I don't have to grasp on to one thing and I don't have to scatter, mm-hmm. but to integrate the mm-hmm. wisdom of both. Mm-hmm. And that obviously is an ongoing question for me, but one image that helps me is, um, I was having a conversation about this with a friend of mine and there's this metaphor people use of when you're trying to dig a well, you don't want to dig many shallow holes. Mm. And she was saying, you know, I think that's true, but what if you're built, what if you're digging one deep hole with many tools? Mm. Mm. And that is helpful to me. Like, Mm -hmm. what if I'm going for one principle or one path, but I'm open to using different tools Hmm. and different technologies. Hmm. Yeah. I love that because, you know, I think the piece of this too, is that most faith, spirituality traditions, even wellness traditions, right? Because at one point in time, those things were not separate, you know, in Ayurveda, like in all of the ancient medicine practices, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, shamanic, work, you know, indigenous wisdom traditions, like the spirituality piece and the medicine piece were not separate. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, in all of those traditions, you know, many of them do actually all point to the same thing. It is different tools, you know, based on culture, based on place, you know, that is what differentiates them more than other things is 
the the cosmology, right? The view of the universe and and our place within it. And you know, certainly people's location, the seasons that they dealt with, the prey that they hunted, the roots and berries that they gathered, the way they, the tools they had, you know, the resources they had for making shelter or, you know, clothing when and where they wore it, or, you know, and then the way they, yeah, the way they survived, the things that they survived through and by sort of shaped how they viewed the world. It seems like this is a pretty simplistic (laughs) take on it, but, you know, I think not simplistic hopefully not simplistic in an erasive way, but simplistic in sort of the elegantly simple kind of way. Um, but, you know, I think, so yes, yeah, so those pieces seem to, seem to be what determines what makes the practices and the traditions different. But at the heart, it feels like the questions are always the same. At the heart, it feels like what people are trying to answer or the things they're trying, the meaning they're trying to make sense of and around are all kind of the same. Like the, the, why are we here? And like, what's the purpose and how do we deal with the things that are hard and how do we ensure a future for the children? And yeah. And like, is there a God or gods or, you know, and, and what role do they play in, you know, our day-to-day life? (laughs) Yeah, um, the group that I'm part of that I spoke about a little bit, the psychodynamic and mystical mm-hmm. Judaism. Um, in that group, we talk a lot about truth, seeking truth for its own sake. Mm. And I find that to be a really helpful principle because it can help me discern why am I going after this thing? Am I avoiding mm. some mm. truth? Like, have I, maybe I've been getting to a certain point in my meditation and I got really freaked out and I don't want to see this part of myself. So I'm going to like go to a kirtan and forget about it. (laughs) I'm like, try to pep myself up Mm. or maybe it's the same action, but maybe it's coming from a place of like, I'm hitting a block in my, in my meditation or in my self work. Mm. And I have a sense that this tool might open up that block. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, it can be a really subtle difference, but I think if we can learn to discern where we're coming from in terms of the tools and the paradigms and whether it's a place of avoidance or a place of seeking depth, mm. Mm. it has a much different texture. Yeah, I love that because I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, um, I've had a lot of situations come up recently, conversations or things people have sort of said, or that I've read people sharing in different places that, you know, either they started down a certain path, studying a certain thing and are like, well, I'm not sorry I did that, but I'm not actually sure that's like my path to be going down. Or, you know, someone is like, well, I'm kind of looking for more in my life. And so I think I want to learn about this and this and that, you know, and they list like three to like five different, you know, like traditions. Like I want to learn more about shamanism and energy work and, you know, meditation and breath work and yoga, you know, and like, you know, and I'm very aware, like having, you know, at least to varying degrees dabbled to gone into depth on pretty much all of those, you know, I'm very aware of like the fact that there, I draw from those different tools in different ways at different times. And 
that they're all kind of pointing at the same thing. And so, you know, sometimes I do, I find myself wanting to ask people like, well, what are you actually looking for? Because yeah, I think sometimes, sometimes the like more is not more, right? And and I think we've our our baseline has become so set so high to like that more <laughs> because we're constantly being bombarded with overt and subtle messages like from our surrounding society, from our surrounding environment that like we should want more, we should be looking for more, we should have more, we should. Right. And so like, I think our baseline understanding of what more is, has kind of tipped more towards more than towards less, you know, <laughs> or even yeah. towards neutral. And so like what we now think of as neutral is like actually amped up really far into the more category. And, you know, and so I think a lot of times we do, we feel the sense of urgency or the sense of like desperation or this sense of kind of dissatisfaction. And we like reach for the things and, and, you know, I mean, I feel like spiritual practices can be just as much an addiction in some ways, or can we, you know, we can deal, we can move into them with those same patterns, those same addictive, like looking to escape or looking to cope or looking to fill holes patterns that we would with alcohol or sex or food or shopping or, you know, drugs or whatever, like the thing, the thing, maybe the compulsion thing, maybe, <laughs> yeah. um, it's yeah. so easy to unconsciously bring our, I'm sure we all have more or less of internalized capitalism and consumerism. Mm -hmm. And it's be so hard to see how we bring that to spirituality. Yeah. Because it's easy to cope. It gets easily co-opt. Like, oh, I'm a good student. I'm doing all the things. Right. But are we coming from a place of consume more, consume more? I'm not enough. I need this yeah. teaching or this object to fix me. Or even then too, like this teacher, this guru, this, you know, leader, right? I mean, that's part of how cults become such a powerful force, <laughs> you know, is, is sort of the, you know, and I think we're kind of dancing around. I think maybe it was in, I don't remember, but like embodied spirituality, I think I saw either on your website or in your like longer form bio that you use that phrase and you know, or maybe I heard it. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think I've heard you use that phrase before specifically related to your journey and your work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think a piece of all of that is when we're really disconnected from our bodies and when we're in that mental space, for me, I find my, when I'm, that's usually a sign that I'm mental is that like, I'm wanting to chase after all the threads or I'm like, I don't, I can tell something's wrong and I don't know what, and I'm just like, looking for something to fill it. And I'm more likely to be swayed by somebody's persuasive marketing. And I'm more likely like, oh, well, what they're promising sounds like what I want. And like, so of course I'm going to study this thing that I actually don't have interest in studying, but the result that they're promising sounds like the result I want, you know? And that's when I think sometimes we end up like following those paths that later on we're like, maybe, maybe that wasn't my path to take to actually arrive at that result that I'm looking for but we get so focused on so results oriented and, um, you know, and, and, or then we, we get really attached to specific leaders or, you know, teachers or, you know, whatever. And, you know, and when that starts to tip from 
from healthy spirituality and into more of a cult space, to me, a lot of that really is whether or not we're being invited into deeper embodiment or whether we're being invited into deeper disassociation from our own like inner wisdom and our own inner knowing. So I don't know. Yeah. What, what is that? Like, what does embodied spirituality mean to you? And particularly within your journey, as it relates to you kind of having tasted a lot of these different, um, practices and sort of almost that tension too, between the tradition and sort of how we apply it in modern times. I guess I'm like sort of in my head, those things are sort of vaguely, at least somewhat connected by threads. And so, you know, <laughs> but go with that where you will. <laughs> I'm having a lot of, a lot of trains of thought as yeah. well. I mean, one is just like, you know, probably you and a lot of your listeners, if you like go through your Instagram thread, it'll be like advertisements for natural skincare. And then for some kind of spirituality or some kind of course. And it's like, oh, these uh, spirituality is being marketed the way makeup's being marketed. <laughs> and sort of um, approaching us in a similar way. Like mm -hmm. what's the pain points? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's when it comes, it becomes spiritual materialism. Mm -hmm. And I can feel that in myself, that feeling of like, something's not quite good enough mm. with me. So I mm. get a little grabby, you know? Mm. And I think about, um, there's this teacher, Reb Zalman, who is, he really updated Judaism in the past few decades and he sort of um, he takes a contemporary view of Hasidic practices which are like ecstatic um, kind of ultra-orthodox but mystical practice and he's updated it um, and his work is called Jewish Renewal mm. um, and he has this idea that there's different turnings or eras of Judaism mm. and the first one was about place was about the temple we come together at the temple to do our practices and then when the temple was destroyed the next turning of Judaism was about time so maybe we no longer have a place to come to together but we can all do this practice on Friday night it reminds mm -hmm. me somewhat of like being in the di diaspora of Zoom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where mm. maybe we can't come to the same temple, but we can use the temple of time. Mm. And then he says the third turning is the turning of the person. Mm. So how can we use, how can we see the sacredness of being a human being and sort of read the human experience, the way you would read a divine text. And he sees like the rise of psychology and psychotherapy as part of that turning. Mm -hmm. And it, the thread that's connecting for me is it's sort of that view sort of turns me back on myself where I can investigate if I am feeling grabby or fragmented then there's room to say like, okay, 
I, I don't have to fix this problem by choosing the best online spiritual course or by beating myself up for going into that place, but I can turn towards myself as if I am the Torah mm-hmm. and say like, what is happening here? And that could be on different levels. Mm-hmm. That could be like, oh, my belly's getting tense. Oh, my thoughts are racing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm saying self-critical messages. Mm-hmm. And that has been a real like, underlying principle for me that connects across modalities mm. where it helps me not get scattered in the external. Yeah. And say, okay, maybe I'm trying this new modality. Maybe I'm dabbling. And rather than getting lost in the dabble or beating myself up for the dabble, can I turn the mirror back on myself and think, mm-hmm. How is this impacting me? Like, yeah. Am I open? Am I constricted? Am I aggressive? Am I compassionate? Yeah. And it turns, it's to me that that is like the well that you can use many tools mm-hmm. to get into. Mm-hmm. I love that. That was the question I thought to ask you is, yeah, what do you feel like your well is or what is the well to you? And so, yeah, that yourself. And, you know, and, and what I love about what you're sharing, you know, it, it, yeah, it's so easy for us to think that the path and the answers are somewhere else. When in reality, like the path is right underneath our feet and the answers are the choices that we're making in each moment. And then how we respond to the consequences of those choices, because there's always a consequence, you know, and I don't mean consequence in like a heavy punishment oriented way, but just in a like action response, you know, kind of way. Right. Like, I'll be fascinating. Like even the state of being scattered or of not, or of being superficial might be a really fascinating state to explore. Right. It is the path in that moment. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, I'm also interested because, you know, I think about like uh, my understanding anyway, of a lot of like indigenous wisdom traditions. And I don't love using the word shamanism because from my understanding, the only people who called themselves shamans were in more of Eastern European, Russian, Russia area. And then um, white anthropologists, European anthropologists learned that word and started then applying it to indigenous medicine people and wisdom people in cultures they encountered around the world. And that most other cultures have their own names for themselves. So I don't love using that term because it's kind of manages to be both erasive and appropriative kind of at the same time. So that's why I tend to use more like indigenous faith traditions or indigenous wisdom traditions. But, you know, it's interesting because you were you know, talking about the rabbi and sort of his three turnings and, you know, and this idea that first there was temple and, you know, that there's always the part of me that sort of, I hear that. And there's a part of me that thinks like, ah, the chicken or the egg, you know, and like, which came first, the temple or the people actually, you know, and almost that, that, that sort of seems to me a little bit like an organized religion standpoint, because, you know, so many people were, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. This is sort of an open curiosity thing. I'm, I have not like gone into depth to study this, so I don't necessarily have the answers, but it sort of seems to me like before, yeah, before there were temples, there were still people and they still 
prayed or had whatever their version of that was. And so I think it's interesting too, that it almost feels like maybe first there were people, then there were temples, then there was time, then there were people. And so it's almost like we're kind of coming sort of in this, I mean, and we know that from our, from our own spiritual journeys, right. That like, we do kind of circle back to things, but like in a spiral shape so that there's like a different layer of meaning or a different, different depth or like a different, um, slightly different flavor to it or feeling tone to it. And so it almost feels like we're coming back to kind of people again, and sort of this decentralized authority place. Um, you know, and I do think psychology, you know, has had a lot to do with that. And yet at the same time, so much of Western psychology is so individual oriented, usually, and very much a product, I think, of European culture and the enlightenment and kind of this, like, I think, therefore I am kind of like mentality, you know? And so it almost feels like if we're kind of circling back in some ways, it's almost like, what if, what if the next round temple is nature? you know, and what if, and what if the next round people is community rather than, you know, we come back to that sort of like community and connection, um, as temple or as time. Um, I can really feel that cycle. And also I can feel like the necessity for all of them. Hmm. We can't Hmm. just be inward all the time. We also need places to convene and be Hmm. together. And we also need, it seems to me that to be a need of ritual through time. Yeah. Mark the time of our lives. Yeah. Different, different aspects of those three seem to come into the foreground, maybe Mm. in different chapters or with different practices, but Mm. they all inform each other and need each other. Yeah. So maybe that's almost the, this like fourth or fifth turning, I'm losing count, but yeah, like, is like the that they're all present at the same time Mm -hmm. in a really fluid and like interwoven kind of way. Yeah, I have a teacher named Zvi Ishalom who Mm. says the fourth turning is freedom and Mm. freedom would mean the ability to travel between all three, Mm. to see the synthesis of all three. Mm. And it also reminds me of his, one of his teachers is named A.H. Almas. Mm. He started the Diamond Approach. And he talks a lot about how different paths, different wisdom traditions actually lead to different places. And he sees that he calls it different kinds of enlightenment, which I love. Like, if you... Um, if you sit in silence for 30 years, you might reach a different type of enlightenment Mm. than if you're doing an ecstatic devotional practice for 30 Mm. years. Or, you know, in his framework, for 30 seconds, sometimes you can drop in in one moment to that Mm. type of enlightenment. And I love his framework because I feel that it gives a lot of freedom that we have these options to feel into the qualities of different paths. Mm. And we have as humans, the ability to feel different types of awakening and maybe it's not permanent, but maybe momentarily we can get that sense or that flavor. Mm. 
and it might be what we need in that moment or at that crossroads. Yeah, that's reminding me, you know, it's interesting. I had a big shift because I think I used to put a lot of pressure on things. I wanted to find the right path and the right training with the right person, you know, and some of that was like financial considerations, right? Like it's not nothing. Some of these investments, like, and so I was noticing how much pressure I was putting on yeah. On these things to like somehow give me enormous value, you know, yeah. or profound transformation. And, um, and I was noticing just how much I was just like mind fucking about it all. <laughs> and then I was like, man, that is not fair for me. That is not actually fair for these teachers of these programs that I'm putting that much pressure on them to like deliver some value that like they haven't signed up for, they're delivering whatever value is theirs to give. And then I'm like bringing all of this, like my baggage to it and being like, I need this value, (laughs) you know? And like, and it, and it just, it felt like so much like weight and it felt like weight on the money. Like it felt like a constriction, like you were talking about like that stomach tight. And the, you know, I was tracking in my body and noticing what was happening. And I was like, man, none of this feels expansive. None of this feels fun. None of this feels curious or like explorative, you know, in like a sort of really childlike kind of way. And we know that we learn best through play, like studies show that time. And again, like we don't learn best in high pressure, high stakes environments. We learn best through play. Like we're, we're wired for that. And, and I had this shift where I signed up for something and it helped that it was like a low cost, like high value kind of offer, but I gave myself permission. I was like, okay, what if like my goal for this is not actually what I'm going to get out of it. My goal for this is shifting what I'm, how I'm going into it. And I'm going into it as me, not apologizing for me, like tracking within myself, all the ways in which I engage in kind of pleasing or sort of apologetic kind of ways. Or like, if I give this, then maybe I'll get this, you know, right. And so I was sort of like, what if my goal for this program has nothing to do with whatever value, like that's secondary. And my goal is to like track that within myself and like not do that shit (laughs) to the best of my ability, right? (laughs) Not perfect. But what if I just show up and trust that even if I get one thing from this, it will be the right thing. Mm -hmm. And like, and it was just such a game changer. And, And I think that is that shift from like, expecting a path to expecting tools. And so like, I'm not expecting this program or any program to be the well itself. I'm the well, I'm expecting this program to help me find the right, find a tool, another tool. And I already have plenty of them, but I, you know, I'm just supplementing or shoring up weaknesses as I'm, you know, as life happens and you come up with things and you're like, wow, I just hit something that like, clearly my tools aren't quite up to whatever this is, you know? Um, and so maybe I need a new tool with like a slightly different approach. And then you kind of go and you find the tool, but yeah, it felt the word freedom. It felt very freeing to all of a sudden kind of land in this place of like, not looking for a path. I'm looking for tools. I love that. Yeah. I think a lot of us start our spiritual paths in desperation. Like right. I know I did. It was like I existential crisis when I was about <laughs> 20 years old and I was like, 
please, someone save me, you know, and just kind of throwing myself into things without really, I had so much urgency that there wasn't time to sit back and think like, what, what do I really want to expect from this? Mm. Like, and what's a sustainable pace? Mm. I just was like, I'm in crisis. I'm going to try this extreme 10 day silent retreat and maybe it'll save me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then over time, you know, as you kind of learn to swim in the spiritual waters rather than jumping in the deep end, I think the, the goals get more subtle. Yeah. And, um, hopefully there becomes less of like this life-saving need because you do start to have some tools and maybe you can float a little bit Mm. and then there's enough resources to think oh maybe I could learn something fun to do at the pool rather than just having to not drown Mm -hmm. yeah I'm really yeah I'm glad that you said that because yeah I mean I just want to make sure anybody listening kind of gets like we've both been there. You and I have both been in that desperate place and like reaching for the thing to save. And like the things I reached for at that time, I mean, in many ways they did save me. Like, like I saved me by reaching for them. And at the time I was so disconnected from myself, I wouldn't have been able to, to, to name that that was true. And so I would have credited the tools with saving me rather than the saying yes to myself and then the connections I made with the people and the tools and the practices and stuff like that, that sort of helped start to, to shift my connection with myself so that I was then able to save me. Right. So, yeah. So none of this is like, if you're in a place, if anybody listening is in a place where, you know, you're in that existential crisis place or you're feeling like you're, um, yeah, you just know something needs to change and you don't know what, you know, and you're reaching for all the things like, you know, none of this is to shame you for that, right. Or to make that wrong or bad, you know, reach for what you need to reach for. And, you know, I also know that, um, many people, many clients I see, many friends I've talked to many peers, you know, health and wellness peers, spirituality peers I've talked to, you know, we often have had the experience where, we reach a certain point where it's like, whoa, just my reaching for all of that at once was like also maybe another way of kind of both starting to maybe work through some trauma and some existential crisis, but then also like was still kind of in keeping with those patterns too. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think for myself, there would have been no other way. Right. Like that had to be the doorway because that's where I was at. Right. We do the best we can at the time with what we've got. And like, we're always doing the best we can. And you're right. I mean, that's what we have at that time, you know, and I remember, I remember a specific moment in my yoga practice pretty early on, like back when I was still like, anytime my head was below my heart, I just start bawling. And like, sometimes I cry the entire 90 minutes and I'd have no idea why. And it was just like moving my body in tears and stuff was coming up and out and, you know, whatever. And I remember a specific moment where, you know, the teacher was like counting breaths and I just wanted to like run away from that pose, like so fast. I was like, I'm not going to make it eight breaths. (laughs) And I remember in that moment, like there was, there was this wise voice inside me that, you know, the story came up in my head. I was watching my thoughts and the story that came up in my head was, 
oh my gosh, I can't do this. I can't do anything. I, you know, and it like quickly spiraled, right? Like something's wrong. Everything's wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong. Oh, I have and, no idea what you're talking about. Right? That train of thought. <laughs> I'm unfixable. Nothing's going to yeah. work. Yeah. And, and I'm then it was like, I, it. what was it? Yeah. <laughs> unlovable (laughs) will never succeed yep yep (laughs) and I just like you know I caught myself in that moment there was some voice in me and it came from me and also like was not of me because at this point in my life I was like not having thoughts like this on the regular you know and it was just like okay, what if you like, sure, everything's like really bad right now. And like, there's a lot that's wrong in your life right now. And like, but right now, all you have to do, the only thing that's right in front of you right here and right now is stay one more breath longer than you think you can. And like, I'm like sort of tearing up almost like just saying that it's that moment. That was one of those moments that like shifted everything for me you know, that there was like a before and an after, you know, some transformations happen subtly. And it's like, only we like look back and we're like, wow, like a month ago or five years ago or whatever, I would have reacted really differently to that. I don't know when that change happened. And then there are like moments where it's like, no, there is a specific before and a specific after, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it is, it's just that, um, yeah, that like what's right here and right now. And, and sometimes it's just like choosing to stay one breath longer than we think we can. And that that right there can be enough of a challenge to that I'm broken I can't do it. I can't, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, and um, I love that because it doesn't have, it doesn't come from a tradition. It doesn't mm. come from a particular path. It's a human ability that we can stay with our present experience for this moment. And to me, it has that freedom quality. Mm. Like we, um, it doesn't come with all those questions. It's like, mm. am I going down the right path? Am I mm. devoted enough to this? Am I appropriating something? Am I erasing something? It's like gets to the simple, simple truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to take a moment because I'm aware it feels like our conversation, we've covered a lot and just stirred up. It feels like there's a lot of charge in this conversation, like good charge, but Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to invite both of us to kind of take a breath and anybody listening, if you need to kind of take a breath to just do that. And again, like charge happens, right? And it's not a bad thing and emotions happen and they're not bad things. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that too. Like, how can we feel into this moment that we're yeah. sharing? Yeah. And so, yeah, let's just like, let's actually do that. So let's name what we're noticing in our bodies. Um, so I'm noticing, I'm feeling this like butterfly, like champagne bubble sensation in my low belly, which feels like part excitement, part buzz, which is, um, 
yeah, has me excited and also has me lifting a, a little bit up and out, you know, rather than kind of like, I'm noticing I'm having to kind of like consciously ground a little bit more. <sighs> yeah, just taking a breath. So even just naming that now, I'm noticing that's starting to shift. What are you noticing? Yeah, I noticed this like interesting sort of dichotomy where there's like a lot of energy going on in my head, mm. um, which feels kind of enjoyable. <laughs> like it has, it's kind of sparkly. Um, and then there's also this pull downward or invitation downward mm. that I feel more in my seat. Mm. and I feel like there's some there's some conversation happening between those two forces mm. yeah I love that so yeah if you're listening and tuning into this like what are you noticing in your body <laughs> and I think I love that question. Um, and that was actually something I had sort of felt curious about, curious, wanted to sort of ask you about, because I know that you're someone who, you know, studies things with great um, intellectual rigor, as well as then sort of this really heart and body kind of like space too. And so sort of, I, you know, I know that people, and again, I think especially, I'm sure humans have often struggled with this, but you know, I, it feels like increasingly as our society gets more and more disconnected from body um, and overstimulates the mind so much that people have a lot are having that I hear increasingly that getting out of head and back into heart and body is like one of people's like I would say top three, you know, like concerns, challenges, like pain points, you know, whatever, or that they heard somewhere along the way, or someone identified that as something that they maybe, or they identified that for themselves as one of their challenges that they wanted to kind of work on. And so I'm curious for you about sort of what that's been like in your journey. And especially, I mean, you bridge sort of like psychotherapy with you know, sort of faith traditions and some shamanism and some energy at work. And, you know, so you bridge a lot of worlds, both sort of more scientific and, you know, more spiritual and more like sort of philosophical and more, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, you bridge a lot of different worlds there. Um, and so, yeah, what is that like for you or how do you navigate that like this what you're feeling in your body right now of kind of this disconnect between sort of like the bubbly in the head and sort of the spirit energy maybe that higher frequency energy and then also that invitation deeper into your body and towards your root and yeah yeah it's such a good question um, I think I've sort of I've been through the whole spectrum of headiness you know um when I was at NYU, I really was like going down the intellectual path and um, seeing myself as an academic and seeing my my future being devoted to academia. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my, the existential crisis that I mentioned and like starting down a spiritual path 
was really for the first time starting to question that. Mm. Oh, maybe there's more to life than intellectual achievement, mm. which that had kind mm. of been shown to me as this is the goal. This is the pinnacle. This is mm. how you succeed. Mm. And it was really a game changer to start seeing like, oh, there's other modes of knowing. It's mm. not just through the head. It's not just through the intellect. Mm. And I think that's one thing that um, also was occurring to me about like, what's the well is mm. to me, it's about like honing these inner inner modes of knowing or inner organs of perception. Mm. Can I see what's happening inside? Can I feel it? Can I hear it? And not just use the, my intellect. Mm. And there was a period where I like, I almost couldn't access my intellect for a while. And it was kind of scary mm. where I was like, still in college and like couldn't write my papers mm. because I had sort of gone so far the other way mm. that I was like rejecting I'm turning this off mm. and so I think a lot of my exploration has been seeing what is the wisdom of the head center how can we know things through the head center that's still embodied mm. And that's still, that doesn't have that quality of avoidance or quality of trying to dissociate from something, but that we do have these incredible brains and how can we use them for good? Mm. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's an ongoing journey for me of like, where is my perception seated right now? Mm. Where does it want to be? And am I like in the, uh, in the potential of this way of being? Or am I grasping onto something or pushing something away or mm. in a contracted mode of this way of being? Mm. Mm. You have a nice serene look on your face. <laughs> yeah, just listening and and also sort of as you're sharing, kind of just just inviting in some more earth energy right now, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been playing a lot recently with sort of I, I feel like I had a another little level unlock in terms of sort of the embodiment of both sort of that higher spiritual frequency, you know, and then also like the earth energy in my body. And, um, yeah, so I'm just kind of listening into what you're sharing and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's that difference between, you know, the, the using, using the mind as a tool rather than the master, you know, and so the mind is just one more tool and it's a really helpful one. discernment happens in the gut as well as the mind. But I mean, the mind is part of what interprets the messages that we're receiving from, from the different areas of our body or our emotions or our thoughts or, you know, 
um, whatever the, you know, my teachers um, in the, the, my energy healing training, integrative energetic medicine and coaching training, um, you know, they talked about the heart being the meeting point between those two. And then the chakra system, you know, the heart is sort of the center of the seven main chakras. So you have sort of the three upper throat, um, forehead and crown that are kind of those higher frequencies, a little bit, a little bit less human, a little bit more subtle, um, you know, a little more spiritual, a little more subtle. And then you have like the lower three, you know, solar plexus, sacral and root, and those being like very concerned with like human concerns, <laughs> lower frequencies, denser energies. And then you have the heart, which is the bridge for all of those. And a place that can kind of hold those higher frequencies and those more human frequencies. And um, and that's a piece I think sometimes that gets missed when you know we sort of view our options as being mind or body too. And that's the thing I think about bringing in like spirituality and faith. And, you know, I'm aware of our time and kind of starting to land the plane a little <laughs> here. Um, but that was sort of something I would love to actually, I kind of had been curious about for you is like, mm, like what, you know, you being sort of a master in divinity and, you know, um, yeah. And, and just sort of having such a background in spirituality and then sort of the psychology pieces and then, you know, the somatic pieces. And so, and I think where I'm kind of circling with this, this, with this is like, yeah, that heart piece, you know, it's like we have head and body or we have like spirit and body. And yet it's like, like, how does all of that kind of come together to help us be more human, <laughs> you know? And like, what is the role of, of those different things in being more human? And what would you kind of say with your background and your experiences? Yeah, I love that you're kind of breaking apart this mind-body concept and saying like, there's so much more nuance here. Mm. Like, we're not just a mind, we're not just a body, we're not just a mind-body. There's so much more happening here. Um, and I think I've, I've thought about it many ways at different times. What's coming to my mind right now is um, I've been working with the Enneagram recently. Mm -hmm. And so the Enneagram is a personality typing system with nine types. And they're traditionally divided into the belly types, the heart types, and the mind types. Mm. And I've been experimenting with like those three ways of being and those three centers and really spending time in each one. Mm. Like, what is it like to move through the world from the belly? Mm. And what's the texture of that? And what do I care about when I'm belly forward? Mm. Uh, um, yeah, that, uh, that one feels like it gets very simple and very physical mm. and mm. almost like I can feel the pleasure of my senses more, the mm. pleasure of the air on my skin more. And then what's it like to be heart? To see the world from the heart mm. and that one has been feeling like so delicate 
Mm. Like sort of this exquisite sensitivity. Mm. Emotional, but also just like the preciousness. Mm. Feeling the preciousness of everything around me. Mm. And then what's it like to be in the head? And I think, you know, as you're sort of, you've been pointing to, I think that one has maybe been the most distorted by our culture. Mm. But there can be this really pure head-centered way of being that to me feels like a not knowing, like an mm. open, an openness of receptivity. Mm. Sparks are coming in and connecting mm. without any of that need to grasp or turn it into a product or turn it into the brilliant thing to say. Mm. I love that. Almost like that sort of feels to me almost like a reclaiming of the mind, you know, because it does feel like the mind has kind of gotten a bad rap and not necessarily wrongly. So, I mean, the same with ego, right. In a lot of spiritual spaces, it can have a bad rap. And again, it can cause a lot of suffering and struggle. Right. And so I get where all that's coming from and we need healthy ego. We need a healthy sense of who we are in time and space and need and want and, you know, and in differentiation with others, right? Like that's actually can be really healthy and not having that is not any healthier than having too much of it, right? <laughs> um, and it's the same kind of with the mind. And I love that because I think a lot of times when we are trying to work against our mind's desire to know everything and label everything, it's almost like we feel like we have to turn off the mind, kind of like what you were talking about with turning off your intellectual rigor. And then we actually miss out on, but then we can't figure out how to tap into our not knowingness mm -hmm. because that also comes from the mind actually. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's just something I'm going to have to sit with for a while. Like what that means in my own sort of like building my own capacity and skill with sort of being with life's uncertainties and sort of the not knowingness and like how I can reclaim my mind, um, as, as a healthy place for that to be yeah. in partnership with the rest of me. I love that oh, new things to think about and explore. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know best yeah i'll yeah. just uh, something that's coming to my mind is also like that's a framework that i've also used to look at various lineages and practices mm. you know like some of them are very study based very head based or some of them are more devotional or some of mm -hmm. them are more like chop wood carry water mm -hmm. and it's been helpful for me to have that framework yeah I love that because, you know, I think sometimes we have the, the propensity to like lean more towards what we're already a lot of. Right. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. So again, for people starting somewhere and feeling maybe really overwhelmed or really desperate, sometimes starting with something that feels more familiar, you know, I, when I first started like the yoga, I was doing a lot of was Baron Baptiste. And, you know, there's a lot about that practice that I have huge amounts of respect for. And there's a lot that it really shifted in my life. And I will forever be grateful to that practice for that. And there's a lot of sort of that very masculine led, um, 
very uh, catharsis-based, sort of that like late 80s, early 90s, you know, sort of the Tony Robbins, the Baron Baptiste, right? All of that, that the more my understanding of trauma and the nervous system has shifted, the more I realize that those practices are not right for me anymore at this stage of my journey. And I come to see how there were definitely frequencies I was drawn to in that style of like coaching and mindset work that again, at the time were familiar enough to get me in the door and were similar to a lot of the traumas or conditionings that I was sort of working to shift. And so then I reached a certain point where I was like, Ooh, for me to go back to that now would feel like perpetuating old stuff on myself. <laughs> and that's not helpful. <laughs> so thank you. And moving on, you know, and, um, and so I sometimes see where people are drawn to those maybe because that's from a feeling tone, frequency, energy perspective, it's familiar enough that it might feel like less of a big step up to kind of get in that door. Like the barrier to access feels lower. And sometimes I get curious for people who sort of stay in those spaces a lot, whether then that question you had, we have to kind of keep asking ourselves, am I here because it's comfortable and actually now becoming an escape route for actually doing the work or facing the things I'm not sure I want to face. Um, yeah. So anyway, yes. So all that to say, you know, I think yeah, asking ourselves, like, am I generally a more heady person? In which case then are the things that I'm looking at more sort of steady and head-based? And is that actually serving me or would it serve me to maybe start to explore something more body-based or something more emotion-based? Um, and do I feel like I'm ready to dive into something that might be very different than what I've than what I've always been used to, or does that feel like too big a leap? And do I need to start with some smaller stepping stones between where I am and like where I sense I'm probably ultimately called to go, but may not need, be ready to like go there fully quite yet, you know? And that's, yeah. And sometimes we, you know, quote unquote, choose wrongly, which there's no actual wrong choice, but then that's a learning because there's no wrong choice because that's a learning too then. Like, oh, I chose that. And I thought at the time I wasn't escaping, but maybe I was, you know, but like at the time you didn't think you were. And so you got what you needed to get, you know? Yeah. I love that you had the, um, like you gave yourself the permission to grow and change over time and not feel like you had to keep doing one thing when it no longer was aligned with what you were mm -hmm. needing. Mm -hmm. And I think also that nervous system framework has given me a way to navigate spiritual practices because mm. I can feel more I think what you're talking about is so interesting it's almost like we have the comfort zone and then we have the crisis zone <laughs> and in between is the growth and learning zone mm -hmm. and for some of us our comfort zone is like crisis mm. that's mm. what we're used mm -hmm. to or is mm -hmm. intensity yeah so then we start to figure out like oh, maybe moving into the growth zone actually means lowering the intensity. Yeah. But not so much that we have a crisis about too little intensity. Right. <laughs> or too little crisis. Uh, 
And I think we've touched on a number of sort of meta meta spiritual frameworks, I might call them, Mm. that to me, it gives me a level of like safety and orientation of how to navigate spiritual choices. Mm. So we're not just jumping from one to the other or blindly sticking with one, but we Mm. have some modes of seeing or modes of understanding how to make the choices Mm. in a way Mm. that feels aligned or feels like it has integrity and health and safety. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I would add to that too. You know, I think another like way people could maybe evaluate is personal versus like collective or systemic, right? Because I think that's another piece that I'm seeing increasingly is that people are trying to apply personal healing frameworks to issues that are actually collective or systemic yeah, and vice versa sometimes. But, you know, and I see that a lot with clients who've been with me for a while now, you know, when they first started coming to me, it was like a lot of the issues were specific to their life experiences and specific to like things that had happened to them, things they were grappling with, you know, patterns that they developed in response to specific people in their lives or specific situations in their lives. Right. And then after they've been with me, some of them have been with me for a couple of years, you know, it's like, they'll come to me and they'll be like, I don't know, this is happening. And I thought I'd done so much work on this. And I'm like, you have notice how your relationship with that initial like person or that initial situation is completely changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but what you're actually grappling with right now is a systemic or collective or societal issue. Mm-hmm. And we exist in systems that are often fairly harmful or fairly oppressive, depending on our different spheres of identity. I mean, there's harm and oppression for everybody in different ways, right? But um, and certainly I think many of the systems we exist in now are inherently dehumanizing. So regardless of what our identities, that our different spheres of identity are and how they interact with our societal systems that we exist in. Yeah, the dehumanization aspect is, is you know, what I think a lot of people are really grappling with. And that's part of why, you know, for me, the overall umbrella of this podcast is like exploring different experiences and different opinions and different ways to kind of start to get at this question of like, how do we be more human? (laughs) And like, how do we rewild ourselves? How do we become more human in the world so that we can actually change the world so that the world itself and, and the systems that we create and the culture that we create within it is more human. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, anyway, don't want to go down too much of like another rabbit hole here, but, um, yeah. So anyway, so that, that framework, yeah. So you were talking about sort of the different frameworks people can start to use to, to identify and start to discern what might be the path for them. And so I would add too, you know, get curious with yourself. Like, am I actually, and especially women or people more estrogen dominant, um, who are sort of a little more biologically and nervous system wise wired for more connection and belonging. Right. Um, we tend to personalize things that are systemic more than, more than, um, less estrogen dominant people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, that's, I think a question we have to ask ourselves a lot. Am I, am I actually thinking that, that this is a personal problem when it might not be, (laughs) And, and then do I, can I seek out places 
where I can receive the kind of support or healing work or whatever development work that I need or want in ways that will support me in sort of changing my inner culture and inner systems so that I'm navigating or giving me support and tools for navigating these outer systems in different ways, um, rather than thinking I need to keep going to like the same, whether it's therapy or yoga or, you know, whatever the modality is, like keep going to the same thing over and over again, thinking that I just haven't cracked it yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think um, this tool metaphor is growing in my mind where <laughs> I think there's a stage of learning where you learn about different tools and how to use them and what are your different options. And then there's a stage where you learn the skill of how to choose which tool is appropriate mm. for which situation. Yeah. And I think that is one of the core questions mm. I would ask when choosing a tool. It's like, is this actually a personal problem or is this a collective problem or is it both? And you might choose mm -hmm. a different tool based on your answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then is this a mindset problem or a connection with body problem or a connection with spirit problem or intuition problem, then you might choose a different yeah, training based on that. And then, you know, within that, like, yeah, is it an energy literacy problem or is it like a mystical problem? You know, because there's so many different pieces. Um, right. Anyway. And it's the piece of what's the problem, but there's also the piece of what's the longing. Yes. 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 What's yeah. Is it, is it more embodiment? Is it more enheartment? Yeah. Is it mind training? Yeah. I mean, and your hand even went for those people who are only listening and not watching, like your hand even went to your heart when you said the longing, you know, and you could put it heart or gut, but I mean, really longing comes from there. And I love that because I think a lot of times our mind is trying to solve problems and our body and our heart are just wanting to like be nourished in the ways that we're longing for, you know, that we're hungry for. And so I love that, yeah, that you brought that piece because yes, sometimes we need to solve a problem and more often <laughs> we actually need to acknowledge a longing that hasn't been acknowledged. Maybe, maybe it's not a toolbox. Maybe it's a smorgasbord of delicious treats. <laughs> there we go. We're just going to eat our way down the well. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to get into sort of more the shamanic, right. And the shape-shifting work, that's when we start to call in like badger medicine or earthworm medicine. And then, you know, you're looking at digging, digging the hole, but eating, you know, you're yeah. Anyway. yeah. <laughs> I have some of that feeling like being with you in this space of being nourished. Mm, thank you. Same. It feels like a spiritual practice of our times podcasting mm. together that's my hope yeah <laughs> yeah amazing that, that fourth fourth uh not wave what was it turning turning yeah yeah from temple to time to person to podcast <laughs> <laughs> Which is temple time and person, the same. <laughs> We're ushering in the new age. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, 
how can people find you or work with you or learn more about you or um, yeah, engage with you in some way? Great. Yeah. Um, easiest way is through my website, which is somaticspiritualcounseling.com. And that'll be in the show notes too. So if anybody wants to look it up, you don't have to spell it all out. <laughs> if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, and we're also on Facebook as Somatic Spiritual. And there's about six of us right now who all offer like similar but various modalities. So you can sort of look through our team and reach out to us either to have a consult or a session or if you just want to chat or let me know any of your thoughts about these topics. I would love to hear. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> yeah, so I'll have your contact info, yeah, in the um, in the show notes. And yeah, you know, and I'll say too, for anybody listening, you know, obviously sharing, if you got a lot out of this podcast episode, share it, you know, that supports me, it supports Emma, it supports the podcast. Um, you can rate it wherever you can rate it. I don't even totally understand yet how all that works. <laughs> I know it happens somehow. Um, I think I have it set up so that I'll be notified when that happens or when you like, when people comment, when you comment on things, but I'm not totally sure yet. So if I don't see your comment right away, it's because I'm still figuring out the whole podcast world, but you should be able to comment on sort of the host platform anchor.fm um, or you can connect with me on Instagram at wildsacredjourney underscore KP or email me kate at wildsacredjourney.com um, for any messages or any takeaways. And, you know, if you have a message for Emma, you can also get it to me and I'll get it to her too, if, if, if that's the easiest way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so let's just take a moment here because this was, I mean, a really beautiful conversation. And so let's just take a moment to take a couple breaths together to kind of close out our time and just begin to integrate because that's another piece of all of this, right? It's the integration. <laughs> um, and so whatever, you know, your takeaway was just trust that takeaway right now, because there were a lot of different layers to this conversation. It felt like, and so, you know, I trust that you take the piece that works the most for you right now. And maybe you come back to the podcast some other time and listen and you hear another layer. But what if, again, we apply that idea if, if you take one thing from it today, what if it was the right thing? Can we give ourselves permission to not have all the answers, to not have it all figured out, to not know everything at its fullest possible depth right here, right now? <laughs> hmm. So thank you. Thank you, Emma, for being here. Thank you so much, Kate. This was a joy. Mm, such a joy. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening in. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, hopefully have you back sometime. I feel like we could just talk for hours about everything. <laughs> so, yeah. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you around the fire next time. <laughs>